Good morning. Happy holiday weekend to you. <clears throat> I, uh, I was watching a film the other night at the theater. It's about a man, it's based on a true story. It's about a man who, uh, is a prison escapee who was falsely con- uh, convicted of murder. But, um, the, the warden, the, the group of prisoners are sent from France in the early 30s to a penal colony in French Guiana in South America. And, uh, the, they're all out in the big courtyard and the warden comes out to address them. And he's this man, he's very stern and somber. He's got a nice white suit on, big mustache, you know. And, um, he comes out and, uh, he just lays it down for him. And he says, I know that many of you are thinking about escape right now. He says, uh, we would be happy to have you try. We'll be glad to shoot you. Um, he said, if you uh, do, if we miss, there are two guardians that it is very unlikely you will get past, and that is the bush and the sea, where the sharks are very hungry. Uh, and then he says, if you do survive your first attempt at escape, you will get two years in solitary confinement. If you uh, miraculously survive a second attempt at escape, you will get a life sentence on Devil's Island, where strange things happen. And then he says, and if you commit murder while you are in prison, we will execute you. That is all. And he walks off. Uh, he has no, no interest in relationship with the prisoners. He is simply a man who wants to lay down the law to keep his institution running effectively and to keep anybody from escaping. Now, many people, and maybe you, have thought about the God of the Bible and his law in this very way. That is their image of God in his law in scripture, that he is cold, aloof, he's laying down some strict rules, and what he's mostly concerned is, is with people escaping his laws. Um, and then, as Christians, we think, well, you know, thank God that Jesus came, because I don't have to worry about that law stuff, and I just follow Jesus, and so on and so forth, all that weird stuff that the Israelites had to do. I don't know how to make sense of that, but who cares, because I'm following Jesus now, right? Sometimes, let's be honest, we thought that, right? Um, But here's a question to consider. Is the law, particularly the law uh, that governed the life of the Israelites, um, a set of oppressive rules that keep God's people imprisoned, or is it something else? This is what we should ask. What did the Israelites themselves think of the law, right? They were the ones who were asked to obey it, commanded to obey it. Um, were they thinking, why has God chosen us out of all the peoples in the world that he could have chosen to oppress us with his demanding laws? Why? Well, let me just read, I'm just going to read one thing. This is one of probably thousands of verses that is representative of how Israel felt about uh, being under God's law. This is from Psalm chapter 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. Doesn't sound like they saw God's law as oppressive, does it? On the contrary, it was soul reviving. It it gave wisdom and it set one's heart free to live in the paths of truth and justice and mercy. Um, our passage from Deuteronomy that we heard today, I don't often, you don't often hear sermons on Deuteronomy, but I'm going to take a shot at it today. It's a very, actually a very relevant book for us. Um, 
the context is this. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, we're going to look a little bit of the Deuteronomy passage, but the context is this. So Moses has been leading the Israelites for all these years. He um, himself, God says, you're not going to pass into the promised land because of some of your own disobedience to me. And he's at the end of his years. He's about to die and he knows it. He's getting ready to pass on leadership to Joshua, who will take the Israelites into the promised land, right? They're going to conquer. They're going to um, set up and inhabit this new place. And so Moses is saying, remember who you are as God's people and how he has called you to live, right? So what's happening in the situation is that a promise is about to be fulfilled because back in Genesis 17, when God is speaking to Abraham, who's the father of Israel, right? He says, I will give you and your descendants the land of Canaan. Okay. And they're finally right at that point where they're about to cross over. And so Moses is reiterating the law. The word Deuteronomy, deuteros, means two or second. And uh, nomos means law. So the very name of the book means second reiteration of the law. Okay, so here's how he begins. He starts like this. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you so that you may live. That's key. Torah was a way of life. Um, we think about it as kind of a like a list of legal demands. There's 613 of those bad boys. Oh, man. Um, it, actually, the word Torah means instruction, and that's how the Israelites saw it. The laws were a part of that instruction that helped them live in a particular way, but they saw it as life-giving instruction, right? And failing to follow it actually led towards death because it caused you to put your trust in false gods to forsake justice and mercy. Uh, relational discord started to happen when the law wasn't being followed. And we see lots of it throughout the story of Israel. See, this is a concept that's true for us today that we can glean from this. God's law is aimed at human flourishing. God's law is aimed at human flourishing. This is how one author puts it. He says, the law of God simply shows us what human beings were built to do, to worship God alone, to love their neighbors as themselves, to tell the truth keep their promises, forgive everything, act with justice. When we move against these laws, we move against our own natures and happiness. See, people say, I could never follow the Bible because I would never have any fun. But you see, the instruction of the Lord that is in the word of God is actually life-giving. In a sense, it's like a manual for abundant life. So that's the first aspect of the law that we're going to look at today. The law is for human flourishing. This was actually what the nations, the other nations outside of Israel, were supposed to see when they observed Israel's way of life. A people who were flourishing by walking carefully in the ways of Yahweh. See, it was supposed to be attractive, right? Which brings us to our next point. Um, in verse 6, Moses goes on to say this, You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. Now, notice the purpose of obedience to the law here. It's to demonstrate something to the people of other nations. See, following God's law would reflect his wisdom into the world in the way that the Israelites managed their relationships, their possessions, uh, the way they worshipped, the way they rested once a week and placed their lives in Yahweh's hands on the Sabbath day. See, Israel was to be the light of the world. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? 
uh, God scatters the peoples of the world because of their sin, right? They're trying to become a monolithic power that draws God to themselves and stands together, and he scatters them because of that. Now, that's important to this story because what's happening now is that God chooses Israel to be a light to those nations, to draw them back into relationship with the living and true God, right? You see, you realize how relational all of this is. It tells us that the creator God's deepest desire is to have a relationship with his creatures. And Israel was to be a light shining in the darkness to accomplish just that thing. See, the law serves God's mission of reaching lost people. The law, that's the second aspect today. The law serves God's mission of reaching lost people. By their commitment to Yahweh's law, Israel became his missionary people who would help him reclaim the nations of the world. It's so relational because God's heart is to have relationship with the people of the world. Now, here's the third thing. Um, The law aims to make a people fit for God's presence. The law aims to make people fit for God's presence. Um, Here's what Moses says going on. He says, for what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? See, the God of the Bible, he doesn't lay down arbitrary rules because he just likes to, to, to punish and subject humans to his whims. That's not who, who the God of the Bible is. His purpose in giving law is to order a people so that they can be in right relationship with him, to be able to enjoy the blessing of his presence. You see, the Garden of Eden tragedy made people unfit to be in that relationship with God, right? The infection of sin started to spread through the world. You see the downward spiral after Genesis chapter 3. Just keep reading on and see how things continue to spiral downwards. Now, here's why this makes people unfit for a relationship with him. Because God is holy. He's That means he's unlike everything else, right? The word holy means set apart. He's unlike everything else. And the law instructs people to live in a way that enables them to be fit for the presence of a holy God. Right? That was the purpose. Now... There's good news and there's bad news about all this. The bad news is this, and you know the bad news already. The Israelites couldn't keep the law. They didn't keep it. They liked the quick fixes they got from serving other gods, pagan gods. They enjoyed the perks and possessions they acquired when they cut corners on God's instructions to conquer their enemies. Right? They over and over and over again, they don't keep the law. See, the project that God launched to make his people holy fit for relationship with him, was derailed by sinful human hearts. But here's the thing. And this is the thing, the thread that we see through all of Scripture is that God is a faithful God who pursues unfaithful people. God is faithful and he pursues people in their unfaithfulness to bring them back to him. See, even when uh, people, Israel, instead of enjoying God's blessing, which is what they were supposed to enjoy, they came under God's judgment. But nevertheless, God finds a way to extend mercy, even in the midst of his judgment. Which is why he sends his only begotten son to live the law, to live faithfully, to be in perfect relationship with him. And then to die for the sins of the world, right? He takes on flesh in the person of Jesus and fulfills the law. Now, let's talk about what that means that Jesus fulfills the law, because there can be um, some... some uh, misperceptions about this. Paul, um, St. Paul wrote this in the New Testament. He said, Christ is the end of the law 
so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. But what he means by end of the law, he doesn't mean, okay, the law was kind of bad and silly and so Christ ended it. He means by the word end, he means fulfillment or the final purpose to which the law was pointing, right? Because Christ brings people into relationship with God and that's what the law was meant to do. So Christ fulfills that purpose. So since he's fulfilled it and we get to have his righteous status apart from anything that we've done, what now? Party on? Eat, drink, and <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Um, see, many people, they say, see, as long as I love Jesus, this law stuff, it, you know, whatever. As long as I love Jesus and I'm good with my other fellow human beings, it's just all about the love now, right? There's a, you've heard people say stuff like that. But listen, some of the things that Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, Right? True love isn't just a touchy-feely, good kind of love, you know, 1969, the summer. Um, it, it's, it's actually a love that involves obedience and relationship to the living God. Jesus says this. He says, many people will call me Lord, Lord, call on me as their Lord, but they do not do the things that I say. And I will say to them on that day, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Whoo, that should take us by the collar. Right? Make us sweat a little bit. Jesus actually expects obedience, right? Now, um, Paul says uh, that we are not under the law, but he then he says this. He says, I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Right? He says, no longer since Christ, no, we are not under the, the written code of the law because it's been fulfilled, but we are under the law of Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be under Christ's law? Uh, see, the law of Christ, a lot of people, might, you might think, um, well, the Torah was like, whew, it was this, the list this long. The law of Christ is over here. It's new. It's kind of like, eh, it's nice. It's little, it's more easy. Just love everybody and get along. Uh, don't think of it that way. Um, the actual better way to think of it is we could say that the law of Christ is the work of God's spirit in us, stripping us of all that hinders our fellowship with him. Right? The, what, the author of Hebrews says the sin that clings so closely and enabling us to love him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the law of Christ, his spirit working that in us. So how do we know we're following the law of Christ? Here's the first important thing. You have confidence that you've been forgiven of everything you've ever done in the past, and you can approach your heavenly father and obediently receive the instruction of his word in a peaceful, joyful relationship of intimacy. Here's what it might look like. Just just some examples. Um, there's subtle strongholds of pride, anger, bitterness, resentment, things like that that are deep in our hearts um, that we kind of have known for a long time are there. Those things start to get carved out. God's spirit starts to call those things out of us and calls us into a place of repentance to turn from those things. He softens us. Right. Or maybe um, our lives involve a lot of what we kind of see as just innocent daydreaming about oh, what it would be like to have just a little bit more to be able to do this and do that. That sort of thing. And then it gets exposed as greed, right? The spirit of God says, that's just greed. Where's the contentment with what I've given you? Right? Those are examples. Now, here's one um, that we don't often think about. Um, when, when our hearts have been changed for Christ, we actually become people of hospitality. And so our lives and our homes become spaces of welcome uh, for people who we might have formerly feared or despised. Right? What does that look like for us? Um, here's another one. We become much more quick to forgive. Because if we've internalized um, God's forgiveness of us, we become quick to forgive or to extend grace to people even when it doesn't make sense. 
right? Um, you see, we find that as we submit our lives to Christ in humility, to submit ourselves to the law of Christ, his law does the things that Torah was meant to accomplish. Um, it provides a way of human flourishing, right? Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It makes us fit for God's presence, right? Paul says, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness, right? We're fit for God's presence now. And finally, it makes us missional so that others are drawn to the true God when they see our way of life, right? It does all that Torah was meant to accomplish. Now, there's a danger here anytime we talk about obedience. Anytime we talk about obedience to God's law, there's a huge danger. Um, and we see it in our gospel passage today. Um, there's some religious experts and they notice that Jesus' uh, disciples, they haven't washed up before dinner and this would be, had become a tradition for them. Um, and so they said they're eating with defiled hands and they're kind of interrogating Jesus and his disciples, right? What's up with this? You don't follow the traditions anymore? Why are they eating with defiled hands? And Jesus looks at them, doesn't mince his words, he never does, and he says, you hypocrites. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says this, this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Here's what he's saying. You can be a very moral person and have a heart that is far from God. You can be a very moral person and have a heart that is far from God. You can make score charts of your good works and other people's. You can make lists to keep, but that in itself is not going to tenderize your heart to the spirit of God. Um, Eugene Peterson is a, a pastor for decades, well-known author. He says the biggest threat to true obedience for Christians, he says, is the danger that we should reduce Christian existence uh, to ritually obeying a few commandments that are congenial to our temperament and convenient to our standard of living. See, maybe your relationship with God has felt wooden because this has been your approach. You, you, maybe you've reduced a Christian life to a few rules or small set of rules. Thinking, I just, as long as I do these, I'll keep God off my back. But what God wants is relationship. He wants into the deepest places of who we are. That's the only way that it can be. See, um, if you say, I'm a Christian because I don't drink, smoke, swear, have affairs, uh, do this, that, or the other thing, it, that says that your approach to God is entirely dependent on what you do. Um, that's just moralism. It's just moralism. It's just, that's just being a good person. And being a Christian is being, is far different than being a good person, right? Christians should be good people, but being a Christian in itself is being, is different than being a good person. Um, see, but if you say this, if you say, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ lived the holy life that I couldn't live and died to obtain forgiveness of my sins so that I could be a beloved member of God's family, then you get it. Then you get the gospel. So here's the question. Does your obedience flow from Jesus Christ living his life in and through you? Because the grace of the gospel has turned your world upside down. Or is it sterile rule keeping that keeps God off your back? It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. The answer to these questions will reveal if we really understand the gospel. See, it's easier to think of God as the prison warden. It's easier to think of him that way because he keeps his distance, right? He's happy if we're just not trying to escape and we're keeping the rules. But that's not the God of Scripture. 
Friends, the God of Scripture desires to be involved in the intimate details of your life. He is closer to you than your own breath. And he wants nothing less than all of our hearts. That's amazing. That a God, that the divine creator, it's kind of an intimidating idea that the divine creator of heaven and earth wants to be that close to us. But it's the story of the gospel. See, the scribes and Pharisees saw um, God as the warden. But it's a tragically misguided understanding. That's why Jesus says to them, their hearts are far from me. He's indicating that that's a problem. He's indicating that what God wants is hearts that are close to him. Right? Hearts that are exposed, laid bare and open before him, open to the simultaneous, joyous and painful work of his living word that transforms. And when we give him our hearts, all of them, his law shapes us into a people who live abundantly, who walk in holiness before him and draw others back to the God of grace and glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it, it can be so confusing sometimes to under the, understand the nature of obedience in the Christian life, knowing that we've been set free from our sins. But Lord, we've also been called into a life of true obedience, Lord, enabled by the work of your spirit in our lives. So we ask that you would show us what that looks like, Lord. Help us to see um, past the world's perceptions that following laws and being obedient is repressive and uh, lacking in joy, Lord. Your word tells us that it's the only way to find abundant life. And so I ask, God, that as we leave this place today, you would continue to speak to our hearts about what it means to truly follow you, to truly uh, let your work be done in the depths of who we are so that we would be a light to the world around us for the sake of your kingdom. It is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen.